Welcome, everyone, to the Fantastics Inside of Baseball podcast here at InsideOfBaseball.com. Of course, we're on Spotify, and we're on Apple Podcasts as well. I'm Lou Blassie, and I'm here with Skylar Dombrowski from Fantastics and InsideOfBaseball.com. First podcast of the year, Sky. Welcome back. Thank you, sir. It's good to be back. We're having some fun and talking some baseball, and it is getting fun. Uh, just first impressions, just quick impressions, because people are going to be watching this at other times, of course, or listening to this at other times. Uh, have you seen much baseball with the pitch clock, and how do you like the way? How do you like the way the game's going? Just highlights. I haven't really had time to dig into yeah. any games in depth yet, but um, you know, I think most of us dislike change, as inevitable as it may be, and. Uh, It'll take a little bit of getting used to, but if you look at the minor leagues last year as any indication, uh, this will probably all get ironed out by the time opening day rolls around in four weeks from today. And, um, you know, I think we'll we'll have very few of the automatic balls and strikes called once we get to the regular season. And I think it'll end up being sort of a non-event eventually. Yeah, and uh, we're talking about starting pitching today, so the pitch clock comes into play, but what's interesting is we'll see how pitchers react to it, and, and I personally think it's going to be an individual thing, and I think it's going to help some pitchers, and I think it's going to involuntarily help some pitchers who are going to be bothered by this, but I think they're going to work better. We've seen several pitchers that when they pick up their pace a little bit, get a little better in what mm -hmm. they're doing, but I've been kind of curious and interested in the news flow around hitters being as uncomfortable with this as pitchers are. Well, Carlos Correa, I saw him wandering around uh, aimlessly, and then he suddenly realized, oh, I better get back in the box. Yeah. It, you know, it'll stop the Nomar stuff. You know, no offense to uh, all of our Boston supporters out there, but, you know, the constant fiddling and adjusting and stepping yeah. out for five to ten seconds between pitches, that probably needed to go away. So, good. Yeah, and I think I think people will, will adjust to this pretty quickly. For my money, it's a little short. And even the game times, and it's been spring training, of course, so they're not running full broadcast packages and things like this. Mm -hmm. But even the game times are, I'm glad it's faster and I like the pace, but mm -hmm. it's just, I, you could use a couple more seconds. Plus, I'm also of the feeling that maybe we relax it even more or maybe even discard it for the ninth inning or the eighth inning or the ninth inning. Yes, yeah, seven through nine, even uh, maybe going up to 20, what is it, 20 seconds now, going up to 25 seconds. Yeah. Um, those are things that, you know, I, I could see them tweaking it potentially if this does persist as an issue going into April and May. Um, but I, I, I really feel like it's going to be mostly a non-event once we, once we get to get it comfortable with it. Everybody, the players, the managers, broadcasters, fans, everyone. All right. This past weekend, uh, before we recorded this podcast, we talked about ADP versus FTP on the Fantastics Inside of Baseball show on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio. We were there 11 to 1 Saturdays and Sundays. And uh, Skyler and I talked about pitchers whose FTP was a little bit higher. We we're a little bit more optimistic about these players in the draft advisory program than general ADP, what the general consensus is. We're going to talk about some starting pitchers the, uh, the other way around. We're a little bit more down on these pitchers than ADP, than the general public has been so far in ADP. And we're going to talk, There's a this is a good group of pitchers that you came up with, especially some of the Yankee guys that I want to get <laughs> that I want to get to talk with you as we go forward. We're going to start with Dylan Cease, and Dylan Cease is uh, 406 in, in blended ADP. I just updated my draft advisory program before we went on the air, and I, I'm choosing blended, so Skylar and I may have a little bit different numbers. Uh, blended ADP of 406, halfway through the fourth round. Uh, FDP, which is what the projections would warrant for 
uh, draft position, not necessarily where you should take them, but what their projections warrant would be 510. So the program's a little less optimistic on Dylan Cease than the general public. He pitched like an ace last year. He's being drafted like an ace in the middle of the fourth round. Is he an ace? I don't think so. And I think what prevents him from being an ace is the control, which, you know, he's made a step forward from abysmal to poor. Uh, but, you know, that's not something that is necessarily repeatable, uh, especially with the very favorable BABIP strand rate and homer to fly ball rate yeah. that he showed last year. It'd be He'd be hard pressed to repeat the sort of good fortune that he had last season. Uh, you look at his ERA last year at 220, fabulous, obviously. Uh, but the XFIP of 350 tells the story a little bit better, I think, and that's more in line of what uh, we should expect. He's being drafted ninth among starting pitchers right now, so a clear SP1 by ADP. We have him at 20th, which is sort of a lower half SP2. Um, and if you're if you're following our software and, and our draft strategy, you're not going to end up with many of these dozen pitchers that we're going to talk about today. And Dylan Cease is one that you, I would say certainly would not end up with because there's no way he's going to last way down into the teens in terms of uh, starting pitchers coming off the board. Well, he posted a 220 ERA, which is obviously excellent. But as you said, his 82% left on base percentage is higher than the 73% the year before and his 76% in career home run. The home run to fly ball rate, because that's the thing for him with all the walks that you start to worry about. And again, when we talk about starting pitching, we're talking about strike out some guys, don't walk guys, keep the ball in the ballpark. He's had trouble keeping the ball in the ballpark and his home run to fly ball was 8.4% last year. Where, where it is 12.5 over his career, 11.3 the year before. He's gotten a little bit better at it. But that strikes me as being lucky. And you said the BAPIP is 260. It's 284 over the course of his career, 309 a year before. Uh, he, there are a lot of favorable wins that led up to that 220 XFIP. I mean, that 220 ERA, the XFIP was 350, which wasn't considerably better than the 372 he posted the year before. Yeah, exactly. And I think, again, I... I when you rely on all the three luck-based stats, basically, for, for starting pitching, our homer to fly ball rate, BABIP, and strand rate, and when you have a very favorable uh, position in all three of them, it's just super hard to replicate. And when you're walking four guys per nine, even though he is controlling quality of contact much better than he did earlier in his career, invariably still, you're going to have a, a few big hits that come through with men on base because you're always allowing men on base. So... I just I think that he's much more likely to have his ERA go up a run than stay in this general vicinity, and that does not make him an ace, not with the whips that he's going to put up. All right, I ask you because I know you tell me the truth. It was just last night or the night before, I think, when I saw that um, uh, Shane Bieber wasn't going to be protected in my league that I just traded Dylan Cease for Shane Bieber because I think uh, the software, the Draft Advisory Program, thinks it's a considerable upgrade, and I believe it's a considerable upgrade too, even though Bieber isn't necessarily the type of pitcher I always chase because I like power guys, and mm -hmm. Bieber does it a different way. But uh, I figure at best with the upside – of Bieber, that's going to be a considerable upgrade for me. But at worst, it's it's a level trade. Yeah, I think so for sure. I think that's a good way to look at it. That at worst, it was even. Um, and again, the other thing that I worry about with Cease is when once you get guys up over thirty-five to forty percent slider usage, and he was at forty-three percent last year. I really start worrying about the elbow. Yeah. Yep. And 165, 184 innings the last two years. He's only 20. This would be his age 27 season. But yeah, there's there's a limited number of sliders. It's like the timing belt, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You start hearing that squeaking and you know there's a problem coming. You know, at some point you got to replace that timing belt. That's exactly. Just 
Yep. Human body is not meant to throw 95 plus repeatedly. Uh, Alec Manoa has a 506 ADP, and we've got him at 807 in the FTP, about three rounds difference. Now, Alec Manoa pitched very well last year. What, if anything, are we picking on with Alec Manoa here? Uh, not an ace, but in that second group, probably with Dylan Cease, right? Probably very similar. Well, you know, there's definitely a theme here. When you start looking at strand rates, his is almost identical to Cease's at 82.6%. The homer to fly ball rate, he's historically been very good at that, but still 7.1% is sort of absurd. BABIP 244, that's just pretty much unrepeatable. And you got an XFIP of 397 from that versus his 224 ERA. Plus, he was up 85 innings over his previous uh high of 112 in his rookie season. So you wonder about that. Um, and then to top it all off, he's a huge pull slash fly ball guy as far as mm -hmm. what he allows. And that right center field fence is coming in 16 feet in yeah. Toronto this year. So I think all these things add up. And I don't want to say I'm bearish on Alec Manoa, but I would not want him as one of my top two starters. But that's one of that's the one thing that he not the one thing that he's good at. I don't want to put it that strongly. Of, of that striking out guys, not walking guys, keeping the ball in the ballpark. His best quality is keeping the ball in the ballpark. He's pretty good at striking out guys. He's pretty good at limiting walks, but he's not really good at either. If the home runs start to raise up a little bit, and by the way, his last two XFIPs, as you mentioned, 397 last year, 417 the year before. If the home runs start to come up in that ballpark because that was a bad move for, for his particular spread profile and, and how he gives up fly balls and pull, pulled balls. If they go up to a significant degree, he becomes just another pitcher. Yeah, because he's not elite in terms of missing bats. Uh, his control is very good, but it's not elite. Uh, the ground ball rate, I mean, you look at his homer per nine, and it looks like he's a 50% ground ball guy, but he's not. He's a 42% fly ball guy, and most of those fly balls are pulled because his stuff isn't dominant. So, yeah, I mean, left-handed hitters getting the ball in the air 40-some percent of the time, pulling it to the right side 45% of the time, and that fence coming in 15, 16 feet. For me, that's a prescription for some potential problems for him. I would expect to see his ERA go up by more than a run, perhaps close to a run and a third. From last year? From last year. Oh, yeah. He's, I mean, again, you can't buy the 224 from last year, although – we do have to kind of accept at this point that the game is changing a little bit. Offenses, you know, ERAs are going to come down. Batting averages may be going up with the shift. We don't know. The game has changed completely with a couple of rule changes here. But the general trend over the last couple of years has been a little bit more towards pitching and a little bit more towards ERA, correct? It has. Uh, I have to think in Toronto that that's going to reverse itself a bit this year. It's hard to uh, overestimate how negative a change, if I can, that seems Dan Deardorfian to me, but uh, <laughs> it's hard to overestimate the negative impact we know of you that much of a shift in, in the power alley. All right. So Alec Manoa, again, 506 in blended ADP at this point, 807 in our FDP in the draft advisory program. Uh, George Kirby had a nice rookie campaign and his performance seems solid. He's going in the 10th round, middle of the 10th round. We've got him just around lower. We're not too down on him. Oh, he's, uh, I think we've got him ranked 37th among starting pitchers and he's coming off the board 29th. So yeah, I mean, a round or two, uh, too early in our estimation, his control is fantastic and that's really his calling card. But other than that, he is a one pitch guy. All of his secondaries are negative pitch value pitches. So he 
basically just goes off the fastball. And that is going to make him not, I don't say weak, but sort of average to slightly above in terms of missing bats. And that combination is just not super successful in today's game. I think unless he develops those secondaries a little bit more, what you saw from last year is his ceiling. So people are drafting him like that was just a start and he's going to improve. I don't see the groundwork for that right now. All right. And his strikeouts per nine, for example, first time through the order, 10.1 per nine, second time through the order, 8.8 per nine, third time through the order, 7.7 per nine. Obviously, there's a decline there. When you have less of a repertoire, and we've been talking about pitchers being able to, uh, we can lean a little bit more on two-pitch pitchers now because they're not seeing the third time through the order. Kirby is probably a poster child for that type of modification, the way the game is going. But the strikeouts are going to be limited by that because third time through the order is one thing, but that was first season last year, second season, seeing more starts, especially in division games and things like that, which I know a lesson, but it's still a little bit more familiarity. It, it, it's a little harder to keep hitters off balance once they've seen you quite a bit. Yeah, it is. And you know, he's sort of only an average ground ball, fly ball guy, um, Average quality of contact, maybe a little below average, actually, with an average exit velo of over 89 miles an hour. Uh, I just, I guess last year to me looks like best case scenario. And that's not a borderline SP2, SP3 guy. That's more of an SP4 guy for me. All right. And I'm always preaching that we need to challenge our assumptions here. And I, I would think that Seattle helps him that in that instance. And you're a ballpark effect guy. So is Seattle what we think it is in terms of a pitcher friendly ballpark? I mean, it's slightly pitcher friendly, but it's not overwhelmingly like it was back 20, 30 years ago. So I don't think it really helps or hurts him. All right. Christian Javier finished strong last year. Everyone remembers his finish over his last three outings. He only allowed four hits, 17 scoreless innings with 22 Ks, uh, which raised his price this spring. It also lowered his ERA quite a bit. So how much stock do we put in the, and this is, we talk about this all the time, Sky, right? We're going to depend quite largely, uh, quite heavily on um, year, year to date stats or the full season stats from 2022. And the fact of the matter is sometimes, especially with pitchers, you have to kind of hold them up to a different angle and take a look at them a couple of different ways. You got to, you don't necessarily want to take those last three outings out, but they changed his price point considerably, I think. Oh, no doubt about it. I, you know, as, as a species, we are very much, what have you done for me lately people? And you're going to remember those last few starts. You're going to remember the playoff performance for Javier. And that's why he's being drafted in our estimation about halfway up the board from where he should be among starting pitchers. We have him ranked 38th. He's being drafted 20th right now. He's being drafted as an SP two. And I just don't see it. His control is not good. He allows a ton of fly balls, 57%. And you combine that with the 228 BABIP, an 84% strand rate, and a 9% homer to fly ball rate versus his career average of 12. That's a lot of tailwinds for him last year. I think he's much more likely to have an ERA in the mid threes than he is to have an ERA in the mid twos. What makes him, he's had a fairly consistent run at 80 plus percent on left on base percentage. What makes him a good left on base percentage pitcher? I have that no ability, idea. I mean, the punch out ability isn't that strong. He does give up homers. He does give up walks. It doesn't, he doesn't add up as the type of guy who should have a good left on base percentage, but 
he had 83% last year, but 82% the year before. 80, I mean, 54 innings in his first year, but 86% there. He just seems to be consistently strong and leaving guys on base. You know what my best guess is there is the Houston bullpen, which is fabulous. Yeah, there you go. And I just I see way too many items of good fortune here in this stat line to expect that he's going to continue to put up BABIPs that are 70 points better than league average, strand rates that are 8 to 10% better than league average, and homer to fly ball rates that are 2 to 3% better than league average. So, you know, a couple of those uh, with all the walks that he allows, a couple of those fly balls go out of the park that didn't before, and all of a sudden you're up in the 3.5 to 3.75 range. This is where we get confused by the indicators sometimes, and everyone thinks this is formulaic. And with the draft advisory program and Anthony Perry and his analytics, he's got a he does a lot of deep dives into this. We're basically taking some of the indicators and comparing them against the result stats and trying to figure out what what's what it is, why the indicator stats tell us a different story than the result stats. And I'm looking at just Babbitt, for example, between last year and this year. And 101 innings last year, 148. I mean, 101 the year before, 148 last year. He had a 234 BABIP and a 228 BABIP in those two years, but the quality of contact is so much different. He had a 234 BABIP when he gave up a 42, almost 43% hard hit percentage, almost mm -hmm. a 10% barrel rate, exit velocity of 90 miles an hour plus, closer to 91 than 90, actually. So how does he get that 234? I mean, that was extremely lucky last year. He made some improvements in quality of contact. Again, I think probably somewhat screw, uh, skewed by those last three starts, but still some improvements and didn't get much in the result stats in terms of bad. Because, no, no it's, it's very similar, even with completely different quality of contact profiles. Yeah, I mean, at a certain point, you, you look back through his minor league history, and he has been a guy that generally does outperform his XPIP uh, he does have below average BABIPs. He does have above average strand rates for the most part. Um, but the control is what gets me. When you're walking over three men per nine and allowing 50-some percent fly balls, that is a prescription for disaster in today's game. Yeah, and the uh, the compelling favorable stat here, I think, is the homer and the fly ball at 9.1%. He was at 14 and 15 the previous two seasons. He's playing in Houston. He gives up fly balls. He gives up walks. He's given up homers in the past in the major leagues. I don't see anything here in here that tells me that he has solved his problem about giving up homers. I just think he had a favorable homer and the fly ball rate. Yeah, I agree. He's, he's not a player that I'm likely to have on any rosters this year due to the likely cost of acquisition versus what I think his value is. Uh, Freddie Peralta, 12 point, we get him 12 point, uh, I'm sorry, ADP is 12, 8th pick, 12th round, and the FTP is ninth pick, 14th round. We're a couple rounds behind on Freddie Peralta. And Freddie's been all over the place. It's been kind of fishtailing from a performance standpoint. Uh, but uh, in, but mostly that's because of health and the number of pitching, a number of innings he accumulates. You got a pretty good idea what his performance is going to be. You just don't know how much of it you're going to get. It's true. And the control has been trending well. Uh, but the stuff seems to be deteriorating a little bit, and it's hard to say how much of that is health and how much isn't. He's pitched essentially one full season in his five-year Major League career, and everything else is sort of a half season in general. Uh, almost every other year is a half season, 78 innings, 85 innings, 29 innings in the in the COVID year, and then 78 innings last year. So it's unlikely that you're going to get a healthy Peralta to begin with. He's good with quality of contact, controls trending well, and he does miss some bats despite stuff that you would certainly not say is dominant at all. Uh, so I, I just, I'm very skeptical 
as to what you're going to get here. And you look again at, at the luck-based quote stats and a 246 BABIP and a 7.1% homer to fly ball ratio. Uh, both are well below league averages and well below his career averages. And you just got to think that there's some potential blow up uh, ability here for Peralta. Yeah. Again, he's, if we start uh, talking about the three things we look for, for in starting pitching is strikeout guys, don't walk guys, keep the ball in the ballpark. He's pretty good at striking out guys. He gives up a lot of walks uh, and he keeps the ball in the ballpark. That's the one thing he's done well, at least for the last three years, especially in that ballpark. So that's his quality. If he can continue to keep that quality, he can continue to at least be a useful pitcher. But when the home runs go up, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. And, you know, the pull rate went up so much last year, 46%. Uh, and he allows a ton of fly balls. And I just, I find it hard to believe he's going to continue to limit the home runs the way that he has with the stuff ticking down a little bit and the increase in fly balls and pull rate. It just seems like there's a lot of caution that should be applied here. Yeah, so 358 last year, 104 uh, whip. Um, what are you looking at for ERA this year? I mean, it, does he repeat that kind of level? I mean, there's no reason to there's no reason to look for either in my mind either a big increase in his performance or a big regression in his performance. If you made uh, if you made 358 the over under on this year, I would take the over. Um, but I, I think 375 or so is probably a reasonable expectation for him with some Ks, but I think the whip will probably climb up too, because I don't expect that the control to continue to improve at the rapid rate that it has been. Draft advisory program has them at 332, but with the 118 whip, which is up considerably at that point, 148 innings pitch, it's interesting. So he's going to have to maintain a very favorable, he's going to have to have a very favorable left on base percentage if he's going to give up that many more, more base runners, which I think is the way the trend is going. Just to get back to what we were talking about before and the way the game is changing, and I think people have to stay aware of this because it's really easy. I mean, you talk about recency bias and everyone, what have you done for me lately? But sometimes these hard-worn paths and our uh, feelings about how the game is, sometimes it's hard to get out of these ruts a little bit. The fact of the matter is, just from last year to from the previous season to last year, 700 less home runs were given up. The home runs per nine, and this is from 2019. Now just to do 2019, 21, and 22. We'll skip 20 because 20 is a useless year. Mm -hmm. But the home runs per nine, 2019, 1.4, 1.2 in 2021, and 1.09 last year in 2022. Significant drop in the home runs here. ERA. 451 in 2019, 427 in 2021, 397 last year. I mean, it's the game is going towards the pitching numbers a little bit here. Yeah, it is a little bit. And uh, I wonder if it's going to go away from that uh, this year a touch just because of the three park adjustments that we saw in the offseason. All three of them were geared to one magnitude or another toward the hitter. Yes. And I also think the shift, the, the, the adjustment of the shift is going to raise some batting averages. Raise batting averages means more runners on base. Which You've already seen BABIP up probably 15 to 20 points in the limited yeah. action this spring. Yeah, so that's going to that's going to limit that a little bit. Maybe it reverses the trend, but I think we do have to recognize that uh, some of these ERAs that we're looking at, we have to look at, look at them in the current context of Major League Baseball as opposed to 2019 when we were clearly just in the three true outcomes type of game. Yes. Yep. I agree. All right. Luis Severino, we've got uh, the ADP was 10.02. We've got him 15.05. You're, you're the Yankees guy. 
Uh, we haven't seen much of Luis Severino over the last few years, so we really don't know that much about him. What do you see when you watch him? Well, the stuff is down a tick or so from pre-injury time. I mean, this is a guy that was a horse for 2017, 2018, pitched 385 innings over those two seasons with an ERA about 320, uh, give or take a point, and XFIPs in the 307 area. So excellent, excellent pitcher. Um, then he threw 18 innings over a course of uh, the next three years. So have to say he's not fully healthy. Uh, they hope that he will be this spring. He did not look good in his first outing, but, you know, it's his first outing. He's probably throwing all fastballs or something like that. So I'm not too concerned about that. But what I saw from him last year was definitely a slight tick downward in stuff. And you combine that with the fact that health is clearly not a skill of his. I mean, he just missed age 25, 26, and 27, in essence. Yeah. And he pitched a total of two games. Um, I'm, I'm concerned, and I think that we're justified in having him ranked 47th among starting pitching versus 32nd that he is via ADP right now. I love Sevy. I think he's he's got an electric arm when he's healthy, and there's a reasonable chance he'll be healthy to start this year because you know, you're know you a couple of years removed now from all the surgeries and everything. So I like him. But I think there's way more risk here than having him as your SP3. All right. Velo is back, not quite back to its peak, but it's back up at 96.3 last year, and it was 97.6 at the peak. So he's got a lot of his Velo back and a lot of his power back. The thing that strikes me about deployment when I'm looking at an injured pitcher coming back is the slider use has diminished considerably. Mm -hmm. And he was he lived off the slider. Slider is a great pitch. We talked about it from an arm injury standpoint, but it, it is the pitch to have in Major League Baseball. It's a very effective pitch to have when you're good at it. You're a very good pitcher. If he's lost the slider, even if he's lost just a percentage of the slider in terms of not being able to throw it as much, that's going to impact his effectiveness quite a bit because velo is fine on fastballs, but Major League hitters can hit fastballs, even 96 mile an hour fastballs. If the slider is diminished and we're going to have to wait and see because we're going to have to wait and see on the percentage of deployment and the effectiveness of it. But that's the thing that concerns me with Severino is the quality of that slider. Yeah, I mean, he still does have an excellent slider. Um, he's really, I don't want to say fallen in love with the changeup, but he's worked on the changeup to the point where it is a, an occasional weapon now. Um, and you'll see last year the velocity on the fastball went up a full mile an hour. And the changeup velocity basically stayed the same. So yep. a little bit more deception there, even though the pitch itself seemed to be less effective. The, the changeup, I mean, you, you allow one three-run homer and it makes a big difference because sure. you're not you're not throwing that many of them in a hundred innings. So I I felt personally like the changeup is still a very nice weapon for him. Uh, he's kind of a true three-pitch guy and he's incorporating a cutter a little bit now, too. He's a very good pitcher, and he has a very high ceiling. Relative to all these other guys that we've talked about today, I would say Severino's ceiling is probably the second best behind Cease. But the floor is non-existent. It's not an occasional weapon anymore. That He throws the changeup more than he throws the slider, and what I'm looking at is 20% slider deployment as opposed to 36 at his prime and in his peak. That could rebound because – quite possible they were kind of ramping him back up in terms of using the slider and especially if it's still good so we may see that deployment climb a little bit this year but that's something i'm going to be watching yeah i agree and you know I, the, the interesting thing here is we get through you know the last of this 12 person list is that if if fantastics did projected standings i have to think that we'd be taking the under on both the yankees and the white Sox. <laughs> well because of the 
because there's two of these on this list. Yeah. Well, which brings us to Nesta Cortez, <laughs> and uh, ADP is nine oh six. We've got him at twenty oh one. We're down on Nesta Cortez, and I understand why because everyone looks at it the same way. And as I've been trying to trade him in this off season, everyone looks at it the same way. And even I kind of look at it as well. Can you repeat that? But the fact of the matter is, a he had a great second half, three runs or less in all twelve starts in the second half. So what's the problem here? By the way, he also posted a little bit over three ERA in 90 innings. I think it was 90 innings. I don't have it in front of me here. 90 innings with the Yankees the year before. So this didn't come out of nowhere, this performance. Plus, it's supported to a de degree. Who's Nesta Cortez? Is is he going to, how much of 2022 is he going to be able to repeat? All right. Let's get this out of the way first. <laughs> He's, if you're a Yankee fan in particular, but I would say if you're a baseball fan in general, if you don't like Nestor Cortez, there's something wrong with you. Oh, I know. Yeah. He is incredibly enjoyable, fun, fun to watch on the mound. You know, we haven't seen pitchers like this very often anymore. Everybody seems to be kind of vanilla. You know, same, you know, lot of velocity, one good breaking pitch. Maybe they'll yell after a strikeout once in a while, but that's it. And Nestor Cortez is not that. He's a very different, very flamboyant, very uh, herky jerky, unusual windup, funky delivery. He's different. You know, I mean, comparing him to Fernando Valenzuela would not be completely out of character. I was thinking Louis Tiant. Yeah, that works too. Yeah. All, all of the unique wind-up guys, uh, Hideo Nomo, a left-handed Hideo Nomo. Yeah. I mean, he just, he looks different and he is deceptive. And it's easy to take a look at a pitcher like that and say, oh, well, as soon as people figure that out. Well, no, as soon as they figure it out, he's going to do something different. <laughs> Did you see him <laughs> in the All-Star game last year? Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. Hesitation, the hesitation wind up. Yep. You know, it's just, it's absurd watching him. And he really makes the game kind of fun. And if you look at him in a vacuum and not trying to look at, can he repeat 2022, but looking at him, is this guy a good pitcher? You see a 20, 28 year old guy that has continued to improve velocity every year of his career. He's improved his control every year. He still allows a lot of fly balls, but he has continued to improve the homer to fly ball rate every year. He looks like a guy that is improving as a pitcher and is a viable, for me, probably an SP4. But then you look at the luck stats and you see 83% strand rate, 232 BABIP, 8.2% homer to fly ball rate. And you say, well, that's not repeatable at all. He's a mid to upper threes ERA guy in all likelihood. All so. Right. Go let's ahead. let's not look at just 2022. Let's go back to 2021. Add those innings together. Two two fifty two hundred and fifty one innings in that time. Two sixty one ERA. Hard hit percentage thirty five percent. Barrel rate six percent. Exit velocity eighty eight point three. Those are very good quality of contact numbers. And he they are. He was lucky on the home run to fly ball. I think a little bit last year. I think that's something he can't repeat. So that's going to come up. So let me put the question this way because this seems to be the question in draft rooms. Can he come within a run of 2022? Can he be a, a sub 344 pitcher? Can he? Yeah, yeah he can. Um, I'd be looking somewhere around the 350 range would be where I would put an over under. Um, but, and you know, where, he's, where's that going to come from? Is it going to come from home runs, home runs to fly ball, that type of thing? And Babbitt. And Babbitt. Because Bab Babbitt's going to be up league wide, I think. And he definitely, like many of the guys on this list, and obviously that's a theme running through it because they were fortunate. Uh, most of the guys in this list will see higher Babbitt's this year than they did last year. It's just a fact of life. Uh, but I, I like Cortez because it's not a high stress delivery. So 
predicting starting pitcher health is nearly impossible. It's a pretty futile effort. But if there's a guy on this list that is the most likely to remain healthy, I'd probably put it between George Kirby and uh, and Nestor Cortez to this point on the list. And he's an accomplished speed and location guy. I mean, he he he's mecha- mechanically repeatable. He gets the ball where he wants it to be. That's what he lives off of. So that's something you can more or less depend on from year to year. And he's a lefty in Yankee Stadium. Home yep. ERA last year, 195. That's not uncommon for left-handers pitching there. That's the other thing, too, with Nesta Cortez. I mean, you don't necessarily have to get all the starts out of him. He's a guy that you hopefully can get in at that price range at the halfway through the ninth round or where we've got him, 20.1. You can get him at a point where you don't have to take all the starts. You can kind of pick and choose a little bit, and you can learn the things that he does well, like, for example, pitching Yankee Stadium. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, pick out those starts and, and maybe his year end stats aren't in the 344 range or maybe a little bit higher, but you might be able to get a 344 or less pitcher out of him by picking the starts. Yeah, I agree with you. And ADP, he's, he's 34th right now. And I just, I don't see drafting him that early, but we have him at 67th. And I think that that's selling him quite a bit short. I would have him in the forties personally. Yeah, but that's the like I said, as I'm talking as I'm talking to people as I go around, everyone's got this, you know, I'm not sure he can repeat. Well, this it wasn't just last year, by the way, and it wasn't over 90 innings last year. It was 158 last year. The past 251 innings have been pretty good. I mean, and and hitters have seen him. He's not a surprise anymore. He's not fooling guys just from unfamiliarity anymore. He's just good at what he does. Well, he's added a lot of velo. He's added three and a half miles an hour in the past two years. So, you know, he's not the same guy that we saw kind of struggle through the minors in early in the majors. All right. So you have Chris Sale on the list here, and I was going to look up Chris Sale's Fangraphs page, but then I just threw my hands up in the air because I really don't know. It's useless. <laughs> it's, kind of, yeah, it's kind of, we don't know. We don't know what Chris Sale is. He's going 1403 here. And I have to believe that that's kind of a, where we might have been with Severino last year, where it's, oh, he was a good pitcher before. He's, you know, odds are he's going to be a little bit healthier than he has been the last couple of years. There's at least some ceiling here. I'll take a shot at him. I'll throw a duck. I think he's a very reasonable guy to have as your fourth starter. Um, you know, he's pitched 48 innings since the year before COVID. That That is ancient history at this point. So we've seen nothing from Chris Sale for years. And he's going to be 34 now. Basically, his last action came when he was 30. So who knows? Yeah, I mean, and- all I wrote here, I, I handwrite notes for each guy that we're going to talk about. All I wrote was injury risk in capital letters, because what else is there to say? You have no idea what you're going to get with sale. Yeah, we those five, five or six innings last year, the velocity appeared to be back. It appeared to be back, but he's a post Tommy John guy. And that mm-hmm. means um, rebuilt mechanics. That's one of the things about it, which might have been a, actually a plus for him had he been able to return on a normal schedule. But Obviously, he hasn't. It's just we're so far removed from the last time we saw Chris Sale with any kind of, for any kind of length of time that we just don't know what we're going to get. Plus, by the way, we don't know what he's going to be when we open camp or when we come out of camp and come north. Chris Sale is going to take time to get things going. It has been a long time since he's pitched. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's funny. <clears throat> we get to use one of my favorite uh, quotes again here. Remember when he was drafted, everybody said, oh, his mechanics are terrible. He's got that weird delivery, like a slingshot. He's absolutely going to have arm trouble. He's going to have all kinds of injuries. And now people are saying, oh, yeah, I told you, I told you. Yeah, okay, 10 years later, sometimes (laughs) being too early is indistinguishable from being wrong. Uh, Exactly. (laughs) 
I love that saying. And in his injury of falling off a bike, I mean, I don't know if that, that has anything to do with me- his mechanics. If he did exactly. fall off the bike, exactly. You can't you can't claim that you were correct the way that things have played out. I mean, he threw 200 innings, well, 192 innings or more in five of six years from age 23 to 28. You weren't right. He was yeah. healthy. He's and as he healthy was, as a starting pitcher ever is going to be. And he's a slight guy, so you knew that arm was going to go. I mean, it's just, yeah. it, but it went a lot later than anyone thought it was going to go. It went at so. age 30. I mean, yeah. that's, you never get that. You never get 10 clean years from a pitcher. Come on. Yeah, and the thing is with him, it wasn't so much the injury that was the problem with his mechanics and his build and, and that whole approach with him. It was his wearing down at the end of the year, and that was what the problem was, certainly in his tenure with the Red Sox going into the postseason. He struggled late. He struggled in August. He struggled in September uh, because, you know, he's just a high-torque delivery. Yep. Yeah, and knowing that, I would not be at all surprised to see Chris Sale kind of maxed out as a five-inning guy for at least the first half of the season. So I think that when you're trying to draft him and, and plotting out what you think his value will be, that for me is probably the biggest negative is that even if he remains healthy, I bet they're going to really baby his pitch counts for at least the first few months. Which brings us to, and this is off the list, but I'm interested in your thoughts on this too. Tyler Glass now, because the oblique injury, I cheered at the oblique injury, not because the guy got injured, but because Same I drafted term. him. Yep. I knew there was going to be a limited amount of innings and I play in a head to head weekly league with the postseason and playoffs and things like that. So delaying his start, his start of the season five or six weeks? Yes, please. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I saw that, and like you, I sort of rejoiced in my mind a little bit. And I was like, you know what? This makes it very, very likely that I will be bidding heavy on him in the Tout Wars auction in a couple of weeks. Yep, there you go. I just, want him on my team. Just put him on the roster, stash him on injured reserve, go get yourself a waiver wire pitcher, and then you know you get a nice addition a little bit later in the season, and yep. it will allow him to go. They were going to, I, I think they were going to have to manage him throughout the course of the season had oh, he stayed will. healthy. Yeah. Yes, yes. And so I think now you had a mid-May start date. Yeah, uh, he won't be ramped up until June one, but after that, I think it's going to be all systems go, and I'm excited. Yeah, let him go. I mean, I think it's going to be terrific too. So yeah, I mean, it's funny. I, I didn't rejoice because the guy was hurt. I right, just rejoiced right. because this is exactly what, as a Tyler Glass now owner in a head-to-head league, weekly head-to-head, this is exactly what I was worried about. Was like, well, what happens when he runs out of innings in August and I don't have him for the stretch? Well, you know what? Now I'm you got him for the stretch, stretch now. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Yeah, nobody ever roots for injuries. Jeez, I mean, the player I like least in the world, I don't want to see hurt. But no. you know, it's it's for Glass now and for his owners uh for the best i think having him start a little bit later yep that solved that problem of the innings limit which makes him kind of valuable if you can yep. do well and, and stash him and, and depending on your league's format and rules and things like that but he, he's going to be a good addition somewhere in the early summer here i think totally agree totally agree all right lance lynn another guy slow return to form last year but posted a 218 era over his last 11 starts in 62 innings pitched he's being drafted he's not being drafted like i think he's being underdrafted but we've even got him a little bit lower 12 1 is his adp 1602 is where we've got him on fdp i kind of like lance lynn yeah lance lynn is a guy that i think this might be the third or fourth straight season where we are very down on him relative to uh, to everybody else in the industry, um, which he's outperformed, except for last year, he's outperformed his XFIPs by quite a bit in 2020 and 2021. So we may have been wrong, but I think it was more due to luck than anything else. Last year was sort of the opposite. You know, he lost a lot of velocity. Uh, for me, it, it, it looked like he 
was really trying to throw strikes a lot more than he ever has before. You know, 1.4 walks per nine. That's kind of half or a little bit less of his career average. Gave up more homers as a result. Strand rate was terrible. So he actually underperformed his XFIP by 0.55, which is a pretty big gap. Uh, but like you said, he's really good in the second half. <clears throat> I just, I worry a little when I start seeing velocity drops from a guy in their mid thirties, because there aren't many Clayton Kershaw's out there that can continue to be very successful despite diminished stuff. Uh, I think this could catch up to him as early as now. And also, I mean, according to the fan graphs, uh, pitch FX here, the slider went away, but they have a cut fastball there. So that tells you he was doing some modification to that pitch. And that was something that he had to, he either had a very shallow slider or, you know, I, I think it's just basically the same pitch. I think it's just being scored differently. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And really the only the only two pitches that he had that were positive and really the only two pitches that he throws are fastball cutter. So they're so close in speed. One has a little bit of inside break to a, to a left-handed hitter. Uh, but really, I mean, is that sort of Mariano Rivera-esque, just, you know, throwing hard and harder and, you know, you get a little bit of break on some of it. I, I, I don't love that as a starting pitcher profile. I don't. But he gave up four runs against Kansas City on August 9th. And then over the last 12 starts, I guess if I can get this to do this here. He had an ERA down around two, I believe, for the last dozen starts. Yeah. Um, 2.18 over the last dozen starts. 62 yeah. inch pitch, struck out nine per nine, and walked 1.1 per nine. Home runs, 0. 0.08, um, 0. 0.87. I'm sorry. So very effective down the stretch there. He was very good with what he had down the stretch. So that's, that's kind of what I'm focusing on a little bit here. Despite all of that, though, career high hard hit rate, career high barrel rate, in um, a basic, not a career low in velocity, but the lowest that he's shown in five years. Again, at age, he's going to be 36 now. Just a little worrisome to me. Let's see. I'm trying to get the trying to get the rates for those last 12 starts. We've got uh, him barely in the top 60 among starting pitching and he's going off the board 39th. So if you're following our software, I think it's very unlikely you'll end up with Lance Lynn regardless. Last 10 starts, exit velocity, 86.5, uh, barrel rate of 3.4, hard hit percentage of 34.4. Stretch. I'm not small sample. I understand. But I think what happens is we look at these season-long uh, stats. We look at year-to-date stats or the full 2022 season, and we get a little bit different picture than we should probably take away because I, you, you can, again, look at it as a small sample and diminish it a little bit, and I would perfectly understand that. But it's also a little bit skewed. The early part of the season also, and also skewed those 2022 season stats. So I think you have to take those with a grain of salt as well. I agree, but look at those last 10 starts. And you got Detroit at Cleveland, okay. At Baltimore, huge pitcher's park. Kansas City at Oakland. There's a lot of low-hanging fruit in that line. Well, if you're taking him at the draft position, you can get him at here at, at the, in the 12th run. He's not there for every start either. You can pick and choose your starts for him, and he can be very effective in that type of role. That's true. If he's part of that strategy that you and I both like to use, I believe, where you, you get two or three horses and then mix and match four or five guys for your SP4 and SP5 spots, I think he could be very useful there. Although, uh, as we mentioned on the show the other day, I think the pitchers in the AL and NL Central are going to be the most hurt 
by the new balanced schedule versus the unbalanced schedule where they were facing right uh, well for, for Lynn they were not facing one of the better offenses in the division and facing the Royals and the Tigers a hundred times apiece. So all right, Joe Ryan, we have um at 2011 in our ADP, he's being drafted at the end of the 12th round, according to ADP. And so we're down on Joe Ryan a little bit too. Oh, I, I was fully on board with this rating of Joe Ryan. I thought he was tremendously overrated coming into the season. But what the software program does not know and what we've been paying attention to over the past week is that in uh, his first bullpen session the spring and in his first spring start, his velocity was up markedly, two miles an hour on average. Uh, that makes me much more interested in Joe Ryan at something closer to his ADP, which is the 41st starting pitcher off the board, than the 71st ranked starting pitcher as we have him. Uh, aside from that, you know, Ryan has average control, allows an absolute boatload of fly balls, 54%, and doesn't control quality of contact all that well. 8.6 barrel rate, 35.5% hard hit rate, 88.2 exit velocity. Those are not great numbers. He does not miss bats much better than average, maybe just a tick above average. So he's a guy that I think was destined to have an ERA around four, but the increased velocity makes me a little bit interested. And maybe I go too far with this, but again, I like to play in the game logs. He had a 10 run start. He allowed 10 runs over 4.2 innings pitch. You take that start out. I know what you get into trouble when you start taking starts out, but you take that start out that low is the ERA to three Oh three from last year. Yeah. That's the thing with, with Ryan though. He's either like really effective or kind of gets hit hard. There's not a lot of seven inning three run starts in his game log. You, know, you get you get your four and two thirds, ten runs, five innings, six runs, five innings, five runs, four innings, four runs, and then you got seven, zero, seven and two thirds, zero, six, zero. Again, a lot of those against the Royals and the Tigers, uh, but you know, you, you have to pitch against who you're scheduled against. And in the end, everything is just totally mediocre with Joe Ryan. Eleven point four percent swinging strike, thirty-two percent chase rate, uh is even his quality of contact. His quality of contact's not too bad, but it's it, walk rate, strikeout rate. He does strike out a little bit more than the average guy, so I guess I can give him a check mark for that. Gives up homers too. Everything is pretty mediocre in there. So eventually, when it's not favorable, that's what you're going to get. Joe Ryan is is thoroughly average. Now yeah. I I continue to put an asterisk on that and say that if his fastball velocity is going to average 94 instead of 92, I believe that you'll see the K's tick up over 10 per nine, and I don't think that'll change much else in the profile, but that would be enough to push yeah. him into clear SP five category for me. Any one of those categories that sees a little bit of a positive move can really make a big difference there, especially can help you with all the other things that, and he doesn't walk a ton of guys, but at 2.8 per nine, that's average. Basically. Yeah. It, it is very average. Yeah. Uh, but if but you strike the fly out, ball rate is what kills me. If 54% you out, fly balls. Oof. You get your strikeout rate over 10, and all of a sudden that looks a little bit differently, and that helps your left on base percentage. That helps you yep. get out of jams, you know, can help there. So this is something to keep an eye on, and I'm sure the draft advisory program, as we go along and add notes to this, like his last start and his velocity, if the velocity hangs on, maybe we'll see an adjustment in the projection too. I think we will. It may take until, uh, you know, a month or so to get that in there baked in. Uh, but if he continues to show this increased velocity, he's going to be moving up my personal draft board for sure. 
Reed Detmer's 2108 average draft position. We've got him 2210, a little bit of a round worse, but this is where we're getting down and we're fishing for our last starting pitchers on the roster. Two runs or less in seven of his last eight starts, however, that lowered his ERA to 377. The year was a lot worse before his last run of seven to eight starts, but a little bit of promise there at the end. Yeah, and his second half numbers, the ERA dropped by three quarters of a run and the K per nine went up by 2.6, which is enormous. So I see what people are, are, are excited about with Detmer is he's coming off at 58th among starting pitchers. So just in that SP5 fringe category there, we have him ranked 77th. Um, and I, my problem with him is the very marginal control. Uh, walking over three guys per nine with a fly ball rate of over 40% in this day and age is very, very dangerous. And he does not control quality of contact all that well. 89.3 average exit velo. He worries me. There's there's a good ceiling and a good floor here, uh, a bad floor rather. So a lot of disparity of potential outcomes for Detmers. I don't mind using him in that strategy where we kind of throw five guys against the wall for our last two spots and hope two of them are good. Yep. But I would not want to be counting on him. Or trying to get a little bit better pitcher out of them by picking this, picking your spots and pick pitching, picking where you pitch them. Yep. Yep. For sure. He's got that nice nine mile an hour, 10 mile an hour delta between the fastball and changeup too. Even though he's not particularly quick, I think that delta between the changeup and the fastball makes the fastball play up a little bit. And so if he can control the walks a little bit and he's still, this is still early enough in his career so that we could look for some improvement in the walk rate. If he starts to focus on that, that would make a big change in his game. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And he's only 23. So Certainly, you're 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 going to think there could be some velocity improvements continuing. He was up about a half a mile an hour on the fastball velocity last year. Uh, if he keeps doing that over the next couple of years, as he gets into his mid twenties, he could come down to an uh, mid threes on average kind of a pitcher for ERA. And I think that that's enough to be excited about with the K potential that he showed in the second half. Cuts his walks and gets that delta up to 11 miles an hour from nine. And it doesn't seem like a lot. It's going to make a big difference for the hitters at the plate. Okay. And again, just continue to keep, like he did last year, keep the ball in the ballpark to a reasonable degree. The ballpark's going to help him a little bit uh, to that degree. So I think the key stat to watch here is his walk rate. Yep, I agree with you 100%. All right, Miles Mikolas, and all I'll say about him is a 223 ERA at home. He went... He went in the 18th round. He's going in the 18th round in ADP at the top of the 18th round. We've got him in the 25th. People tend to like Miles Mikolas because my people you mean people other than me, right? People, other, well, I, was, I guess we're going to find out other than you. <laughs> people tend to, to to like him and cling to him a little bit. I think it's kind of the Cardinals thing. He plays for the Cardinals. He must be good. Yeah, there is a little bit of that, isn't there? Yeah, I think so. I he is the least exciting starting pitcher that I know of. You just there's nothing about him that makes me think, oh, I want to have Miles Miklas on my team. I know, right? And it doesn't he look like it's a, it's a disaster waiting to happen. <laughs> he looks well. I mean, last year was a 420 or 2021 was a 423 ERA and nine starts. 2019 416 ERA. So that, along with very low K numbers, like what's he giving you? It was nine and 14 for a very good Cardinal team in 2019. How is this exciting? I, I just don't see it. Like, okay. He was a little bit better last year because he controlled walks a little bit better and he had a BABIP that was, oh, 30 points lower than his career average. This is not really repeatable stuff or you shouldn't expect it to be anyway. If Miles Mikolas puts up a, a high three ZRA, I think that's among the top 20 percentile of outcomes that you should expect. There's no upside in K-rate. He doesn't miss bats. Sure, his control's fine, but he gives up a bunch of homers. 
he's just very hittable, not exciting, low ceiling. Consider me nonplussed. I don't like contact pitchers. I just don't like yep. low strikeout rates when I, especially when I'm getting down to this part of the draft and I'm filling in the back end of my rotation and throwing darts. I want guys who strike out guys because you want a ceiling. Give me a ceiling. You want some ceiling, but at least I know I'll get the strikeouts. Strikeouts are relatively predictable. Yes. With with Miles, you go in and you know he's going to be giving up a lot of contact. And by the way, no shift this year mm-hmm. or less of a shift this year. That's going to play into this as well. It's less of a contact-friendly environment than it has been the last couple of years. He seems like the kind of guy that is really going to be hurt more than the average pitcher by the shift change. All right. So what are you looking at when we get down for your fifth or sixth starting pitcher uh, I just said I'm looking for strikeouts, and that's basically I, I don't like contact guys in general. You got to prove to me, it's, you got to prove to me you can be effective as a contact guy, and even then, I'm only taking them if I'm kind of forced to by the value of the draft pick, or I, I need the starting pitcher at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I'm down the end, I like strikeout guys. I know I like strikeout guys, and the next thing I look at, as long as they don't give up a ton of home runs, I'm looking for stuff slash K's. You know, you get down into that SP4, SP5 range. And do you really want somebody like Miles Mikolas or do you want to look at Alex Cobb or Kode Senga? I mean, these guys could be great. They could put up ERAs in the twos. If Miles Mikolas puts up an ERA in the twos, he's got to take a horseshoe out of his rear. <laughs> Alex Cobb, you mentioned Alex Cobb. I'm just so targeting Alex Cobb all over yep. the place here. He's Everywhere. Like, Everywhere. He's going at such a great price. And the, the upside here is enormous. First of all, because he has the Giants handling him here. Second, because he's playing in that ballpark. Plus, he deserved a little bit better than he got last year. I think there's a ton of upside with Alex Cobb. Everybody's off him. The price is really low. I just I just imagine ending up owning him everywhere. He was so great last year, averaging over two miles an hour in velocity gain. The control improved. Ground ball rate above 60%. I mean, this is everything that we want to see in a starting pitcher. His exit was 290, but a 68% strand rate and a 336 BABIP. And let me tell you, I watched a lot of his starts Wilmer Flores single-handedly was responsible for a half a run of his ERA. That dude is garbage. I'm sorry, but he killed Alex Cobb last year by himself. There were so many starts where Cobb would give up five ground balls and all of a sudden three runs have scored because he's got the range of a statue. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, I know how I really feel. Yeah, I do want to know how you really feel. <laughs> well, because I had Cobb in every league last year, and I'm going to have him again this year. There you go. So Wilmer that, Flores gets hurt or something. That's why you're paying attention. Yep. Even the result stats last year don't don't um, he doesn't deserve being drafted where he's being drafted just based on the result stats alone. And the thing, as you said, and I agree, I think he got cheated a little bit last year. He he has been cheated for a couple of years in a row. You know, he was uh, half half an ERA, half a uh, run of ERA above his ex-fip in 2021 and then bumped that up to nine tenths last season. Just his bullpen lets him down. His infield lets him down. His outfield's out there in lawn chairs when he's up, so you know they don't have a chance to let him down. I know because he's throwing sixty-one percent ground balls there. So. Oh, I know it's amazing. Yeah, he's and great. I, he's he's one of the best targets. He and Senga are my two targets for in the uh, SP fifty range. All right, that's it for the Fantastics Inside of Baseball podcast. Uh, go to InsideOfBaseball.com, check out the baseball blog, download the free demo of the Draft Advisory Program. If you follow us on Apple Podcasts or um, Spotify, make sure you subscribe because we're not dropping on a regular basis here. So you're going to want to know when a new episode drops here in the preseason so it can help you with your drafts. Everyone have a great day. We'll talk to you next time on the Fantastics Inside of Baseball podcast. Oh, yeah. Let's go. Hey.